0: So here we are at the end of the first day, the first full day of silent, sometimes we call it intensive, silent meditation practice. Having had the opportunity, the experience of being with your own mind, and body all day attempting to be mindful of the breath sensations in the body hopefully successful to some extent or another for moments here and there being present being in your body being aware of your breath. But it becomes clear quite quickly to anybody who's new to this, and of course, those of you who've been at it for a while, uh, it's not so easy. The instructions are so simple. Just pay attention. (laughs) Just pay attention and be kind to yourself. And you will uncover all of this wisdom and compassion. You'll become a Buddha if you do that. Easy to say, easy, simple instructions, but not so, uh, not so easy to do for most of us. We're born into these. that uh, don't seem to make happiness all that easy to find. We're born with this mind, uh, brain, that doesn't like to stay in the present with a mind that's tendency is to worry about the future. Have you noticed that today? The instructions for awakening are very simple. It was even once said, supposedly said, the, the Buddha's Dharma, the Buddha's teachings and these truths, are so simple they could be understood by a seven-year-old child. They're not complicated, they're not difficult. Doing the work that is pointed to, experiencing the freedom that is available, is, is the difficult part. Not the concept. The concept very simple. Pay attention. Come into harmony with impermanence. Stop clinging. (laughs) Simple. Simple concept. But we're born uh, into this mind and body process, system that doesn't make happiness so simple. I would go as far as to say From one way of looking at it, that happiness, ease, well-being, contentment, or freedom from suffering uh, is not our birthright. We don't get to be at ease just because we were born. Actually, quite the opposite. Having taken birth as a human being, what we inherit is this uh, body that has evolved uh, in a survival based mentality that is run still, even in our evolution, and we want to think we human beings were so evolved and so spiritual and intellectual and. They have so many philosophies about life. But still it becomes quite clear that actually what's happening here is that we live in a body that is run by craving for pleasure. A survival instinct that is fueling the body, the emotions, the psyche, That has evolved to survive. And craving for pleasure is our survival instinct. And the flip side aversion to pain, not wanting the unpleasant sensations of sitting still all day, of walking slowly, of not having enough chocolate for dessert, of not getting to read your favorite book or watch your favorite television shows, the absence of pleasure and the presence Of difficulties, difficult mind states, unpleasant emotions and sensations. Met with resistance. Met with a nervous system, a body that rejects pain. It's built into us. It's not your fault. But as the Buddha points out, because this is so, because craving is the way it is, because aversion is the natural reaction to pain, we experience all of this suffering in life, all of this difficulty, of this uh, unsatisfact- unsatisfactory Because we can't get enough pleasure. And the pleasure that we do get doesn't stay long enough. And we can't get away from pain. No matter how hard we try. And I have tried. And I know you have, too, to avoid pain and to create pleasure in your life. And it's just not possible. It's completely and totally impossible to create a life of constant pleasure and absence of pain. And this is clearly uh, what the Buddha was pointing to in the first noble truth, the truth of uh, that life is going to be difficult, that there's going to be stress, suffering, and that clearly this uh, difficulty in life isn't uh, isn't somehow your fault and that's such good news such good news normalizing statement if you're suffering welcome to planet earth everyone else is too That's the status quo here for the unenlightened. If you crave life to be pleasurable all of the time, or at least more often than it is, and as Vinny said last night, if you walk around with that feeling of it's just not right the way it is, a lack of acceptance, a feeling that it should be different. If we really look at what's underneath that feeling, the difference is it should be more pleasurable than it is. That's what's wrong here. It should be less painful than it is. I know you're seeing all of this in your own mind, in your own body, as you pay attention to the breath. This is what we see as we practice mindfulness. We see how the mind leans outward, looking for pleasure, for distraction. Or, how also the mind can get so focused on the pains that we've experienced, we can get so caught up in resentments. Both survival instincts, both how our mind and body are wired. if you're still pissed off at the people that hurt you? Of course. The mind holds on to that. It's trying to protect us. Resentment is the mind reminding us. Try to avoid those painful situations in the future. Of course it doesn't work. Of course, the real problem here is that uh, we haven't evolved enough. We're stuck in this survival-based instinct and mentality that creates uh, all of the unhappiness in ourselves and in this world. All of the greed, all of the ignorance, all of the hatred and and every form of oppression comes from these core survival-based fight-or-flight, craving, aversion, instincts that we're all born with. You don't have to learn this stuff. This isn't conditioned phenomena. This is just what a body and mind experience. Mindfulness is our only hope. I will go as far as to say, from one perspective, that without mindfulness, without the intentional training of the mind, what we're doing here in this retreat, without mindfulness, without bringing the attention to the present over and over and over, without training the mind to be present, I don't think we actually have free will. I don't think we can, if free will, in this way that I'm talking about, it means the ability to choose happiness. This is a very Buddhist centric view. But from this perspective, without mindfulness, you cannot choose to be happy. Without mindfulness, we will continue in the survival based instinct. We will continue to meet. Pain with hatred and aversion and resistance and suppression. Meeting pain in that way always causes suffering. With mindfulness, we can learn to meet pain, maybe first with tolerance. And I know a lot of you are experiencing that today in the first day of retreat, tolerating the painful body as you sit. From tolerance, we can move to mercy and compassion. If we're not mindful, we can't choose that wise action. It's not going to happen all by itself. This is part of what the Buddha was talking about when he Uh, I believe when he said that his awakening and this path that he was walking and and about to uh, begin teaching was one that led against the stream. That the stream for us is aversion, is clinging, is self-centeredness and uh, an ignorant delusion uh, that we are permanent, (laughs) that there is some solid, continuous self. The stream is to suffer. The stream is to go through life unhappy uh, and feeling like a victim, being pushed around by life Being tossed around by pleasure and by pain. Mindfulness is to go against the stream. With mindfulness, we can begin to choose. Not whether life is pleasurable or painful or neutral. We have no power really over the, uh, those subtle sensations within the mind-body. But with mindfulness we have the ability moment to moment to respond. To let go when we notice that we are attached, when we're clinging to respond with kindness when we become aware of the aversive tendency. Mindfulness is not the goal, (laughs) but it is the prerequisite to attaining the goal. And I'm not one of those Buddhists that don't think there's a goal. I strongly believe that there is a goal, that the Buddha encouraged us to experience the goal. And that the goal is more and more happiness, more and more freedom, more and more well-being in this mind-body process, in this world, that isn't a setup for happiness that actually happiness, contentment, well-being is a radical, radical proposal. So we have this opportunity to do something really revolutionary to do something really rare with our life. To begin or continue this training in mindfulness. to experience choice, to break the slave-like mentality, the addiction-like quality that we tend to have to our minds and to our instincts. The Buddhist path is counter-instinctual. Mindfulness gives us the ability to go upstream, to go towards the goal. I think it's so incredible that we even have this opportunity. It seems so rare and so uh, just amazing that here we are 2,500 years later after Siddhartha Gautama, the Buddha, came to awakening and, and taught this Unrevealed teaching, revealed uh, mindfulness, practice. And here we are on the other side of the planet, however many thousands of generations later, still connected, still uh, born in saying, uh, "I want to be happy and I see." it's not that easy. I want to be free. And we realize it's not going to happen all by itself. I'd imagine that most of you have tried just about everything else already. Most of us end up in meditation as a last-ditch effort, the last hope. The relationships didn't work, the stuff didn't work. Money didn't work, attention didn't work. Nothing brought me the happiness that I'm seeking. Better? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's okay. (laughs) So we begin this path with uh, the simple present time awareness, awareness of breath. Awareness of body. But be clear. It's not about getting good at feeling your breath. It's not the point. It's very helpful to get good at concentrating on the breath, on the, on the body to be present. But be very clear that it is in service of changing your relationship to the impermanent nature of all things. Changing your nature, uh, your, your relationship to uh, the pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral tone of all things. We only pay attention to the breath and the body to be Present, so that we can now choose to relate to the present in a wiser way, to break the reactive, habitual patterns. As we become more and more present, it becomes clear, you'll become more mindful and, and aware that all that is happening here is uh, four elements coming together. This body that we take so personal as I, me, mine, it becomes so clear that there's actually just the earth element and a bunch of water. And some. Heat and air. That's all that's really going on here. That's all that's really going on out there. As just the four elements coming together in these different forms and shapes. In that way we also begin to understand how everything is completely connected. the more clearly we see the impermanent nature of breath and body and elemental quality. The more and more clear it becomes that it's useless to resist. It's useless to cling. The breath teaches us that. Impermanence. Transient. The more clear it becomes that everything is constantly changing, the more obvious the rope burns are when we get attached, when we cling. And so this isn't uh, about believing this philosophy. This is about experiencing it. As the meditations go on, as the walking and sitting periods continue, eating and all of the other times here on retreat, each moment is an opportunity. Holding on? Can I let go? Am I suffering in this moment because I think it should be different than it is? Can I just accept this moment exactly the way it is? What's called for in this moment? Mindfulness, compassion, forgiveness. Radical acceptance? Of course, the whole point of this talk uh, is just to encourage you, is just to remind you that it's possible It is totally and completely possible to be mindful each moment, in each experience. And with that mindfulness comes the possibility of ending suffering. Comes the potential to respond in a more wise and a more skillful way. But as long as we are letting our minds have our way, have its way with us, and we're lost in the future and we're lost in the past, we completely miss the opportunity for happiness in the present. And a mindfulness retreat like this uh, is 24 7 opportunity. Be present. Return a million times, let go a million times, and be as kind, as gentle, as friendly, as compassionate as you can muster, without judging, or more realistically, with as little judgment as possible. you know, I say, uh, against the stream. And is really, really uh, a heavy current against us in the beginning. Half of you, this is your first retreat, almost half. Uh, In the beginning of this path, there's a whole lifetime of believing (laughs) the mind, Breaking that belief. There's a whole lifetime of thinking that if you that maybe eventually you'll be able to manipulate life into going your way. Eventually, you'll be able to create enough safety, enough pleasure, enough security. the Dharma asks us to surrender all of those delusions. And in the beginning, it's a a heavy uh, current to, to face, to see how far we've been swept, how delusional we've been about the nature of happiness. How deeply entrenched attachment and aversion feel like they are who we are. All of the time as we teach these retreats, we get these questions. Is it really possible? Can you really be mindful and compassionate? Can you really let go? And of course that's a huge question, Can't, is it possible? The answer is emphatically yes. And I'm not even a little bit talking from theory. I'm talking from direct experience of being the person with that question. <laughs> is it fucking even for me, really possible? I remember on my first retreat Jack Cornfield and Mary Orr nineteen years ago. I think it was on the second day. Maybe it was the first day that spent the night. Maybe it might have been around this time where you guys are at in the retreat. I told Mary. I don't think I can stay. I don't think this shit's for me. I really believe it's going to work. I forget what she said, but something about, well, hang in there. Why don't you wait till tomorrow to decide something like that? So if you're feeling like that today, I I get it natural to have that kind of doubt arise, those kind of, uh. I remember years later, towards the end of a long retreat, towards the end of a three-month retreat, talking to uh, the teacher and saying, I don't know if I want to leave. (laughs) Having come into a place of such contentment and and ease and well-being, in the intensive practice, feeling like, uh, you know, I used to be so attached to the world that I didn't think I could live in retreat. Now I'm noticing I'm so attached to retreat. I don't know if I can live in the world anymore. (laughs) Both uh, (laughs) imbalance. But what, what a long way to come. So if you're having a hard time, Maybe you are, maybe you're not. Know that there's definitely the possibility that you will, like I did, come around to knowing that your own mind and body can be a happy place to live, a comfortable and joyous experience without external pleasures, without sex, drugs, or rock and roll. just with the simple practice of mindfulness. Just by paying attention, by going against the stream over and over and over, unlocking, uncovering something that's within us. An ability to be content and at ease, even when the body's uncomfortable. Uncomfortable an ability to be uh, happy, even as the pleasure is leaving, even separated from friends and family and loved ones. I say uh, in the beginning that we're born into this kind of body and, and life of suffering. We're also born into this human body and life of potential, where there is the potential for each one of us to have full happiness. And full happiness of awakening, not full happiness of material pleasure or success, but of internal ease happiness, of accessing uh, what some Buddhists call our Buddha nature. The place that is in there, even in you, not just everybody else, but everybody. And in this way, the mindfulness and the metta and forgiveness and generosity and the ethical behavior of the precepts and the path of of walking the Buddhist path of dharma becomes an excavation, becomes an uncovering. That truly, with mindfulness, we're not actually creating anything. We're just getting to the heart of the matter. Meditation doesn't make something happen. You don't obtain wisdom. You access it. And that's why we just sit and meditate and look and look and look and respond more wisely and respond more wisely because the more we do that, the closer we get to, for lack of a better word, your true nature. But it's so clear that it's not going to happen by itself. And I say not your birthright because it's not going to happen just because you were born. But on the other hand, it is your birthright. Because you were born, you have the potential if you're willing to do the work. We have the potential if we're willing to really train our minds and our hearts. And there's nowhere better to do that than here now. I know sometimes I've been on retreat or at different phases in my life where I kind of said, you know, I'll, I'll do it later. I'll get spiritual when I'm old. One aspect of the first foundation of mindfulness the Buddha, after he teaches the awareness of breath and body, elements and sense doors, activities, the walking meditation, he then turns towards the impermanence of the body itself, towards the reality of mortality of the body, towards the truth that death is certain, and that we have no idea whether or not there is a future for us to postpone our happiness for. What we know for sure is that these bodies die. What we know for sure in this moment is that it's currently alive. <laughs> And your body has to be alive for you to meditate, for you to practice in this way. And that there's a preciousness to life, not to be wasted. So tomorrow and uh, in the coming days, we'll expand the instructions from the mindfulness of breath and body, the first foundation, to uh, including the third foundation of the mind itself and mind objects, and the second foundation of the feeling tone, pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral. That's when the real work begins. if uh, I called this Buddhist boot camp. Today was boot camp. Today is boot camp. You're still training mindfulness. Get present, get present, get present. Tomorrow's the battle. Tomorrow's when you really have to kick Mara's ass. (laughs) And the only weapon that really works is compassion. Is kindness. Kindness is forgiveness, is letting go, is softening. That's not the kind of battle you're used to fighting. It's a counter-instinctual battle. It's the battle that says, soften into this pain rather than run from it. That's the battle that says, return to the present. You've already been planning the future for the last 20 minutes. Let go. The future is going to be there. These are some of my thoughts about our practice here, mindfulness. Awakening is available in this life. This is clearly the Buddha's teaching. This isn't about creating a better incarnation for next time around. in this life, you can radically change your relationship to your mind, to your body, to this world. No matter how crazy you think you are or how injured or broken, you can do it. And it's going to be hard work. And we're all here with you to do it together. I will end with paraphrasing and butchering (laughs) the uh, Buddha's final words. Upon his deathbed, he said, something like, Seek no external refuge. Be a light or a lamp unto yourself and strive forth with diligence. So much there, right? That's, that's so much in those words. It's not outside of you. Quit looking for it out there. Certainly don't look for it up here. No external refuge. It's inside of us already. And we have to shine the light of awareness. Mindfulness is how we will find what we're seeking. The happiness, the freedom. But that it has to be a diligent effort. Strive forth with diligence. Now, I'd just like to add, as I said before, uh, balance your striving and diligence with relaxed acceptance. Don't stress yourself out about it. Just You're pointed in the right direction. So walk in that direction for the rest of your life. That's all. So we can just sit for a moment. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org